This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. For more information and to see more student work, visit garnetmedia.org. Hey guys, welcome to Adventures Beyond the Coop, the podcast where we hear from former and current Gamecocks who've done something a little wild. I'm your host, Chloe Barlow. If you like going on adventures, getting outside, or just want to hear a good story, you're in luck. This is the podcast where we know sometimes you have to get lost to find yourself. Guys, I cannot believe this is our very first episode. I am so excited and so nervous, but mostly excited to bring this to you guys. Today, we're going to hear from someone whose lifestyle I have envied for quite some time now. James Fulton is a recent graduate from USC who decided to follow a more unconventional lifestyle after graduation. He currently travels the country in his minivan and spends his days climbing rocks with strangers. Yeah, (laughs) you're going to hear him talk about how he caught the bug for adventure at USC, the ups and downs of van life, spoiler alert, it's not all Instagram worthy, and how he found himself 700 feet in the air with a random middle-aged man. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the episode. So you recently graduated from University of South Carolina. Yes, this past May in 2021. Okay, so I'm willing to bet your postgrad looks a little bit different from a lot of your peers. <laughs> yes, I would say so for sure. Yeah. So for our listeners, James is currently traveling across the country in his van, spending your days climbing and really doing whatever you set your sights on, right? Yeah, pretty much. And it's a minivan. You made it sound all fancy, like I have a nice van van, but it's just a minivan. Um, but yeah, I try to rock climb as much as possible and hike pretty often too and door dash for money. So that's how I'm making it work. So that's what your life looks like now, but it hasn't always looked like that. So um, what kind of got you into being in the outdoors? Were you always like, did you spend your childhood outdoors? When did you really find yourself like being like, oh, this is what I'm passionate about? Um, so I would say I started spending a lot of time outdoors, like ever since I was a young kid, like four or five, like I was always outside. But I was always like playing in the court with other friends, like playing kickball or baseball or whatever, or football, basketball, whatever, just like running around in the woods in my neighborhood. But I didn't really start like hiking necessarily and backpacking and rock climbing until I got to college Um, or the summer before my scene or sorry, summer before my freshman year of college. So between high school and college, I went on a road trip to Yellowstone with three friends and his family had a camper. So we stayed in that. And that's what got me like really interested in the mountains and hiking and stuff. Um, and then I joined Mountaineering and Whitewater Club my first semester of college. And then I started going on a hiking or rock climbing or backpacking trip every single weekend with that club. And that's when I like really would say became like passionate about the outdoors was like freshman, sophomore year of college. Yeah. So Mountaineering and Whitewater, otherwise known as like MWW, is a club on yeah. campus. Yeah. So it's a okay obviously a mountaineering club the majority of the trips are backpacking they also do rock climbing trips white water rafting um caving trips that's my favorite trip is the caving trip 
uh, beach camping trips, canoeing trips, biking trips now. So all kinds of outdoor activities every single weekend. There's a day trip and an overnight trip like every weekend, the whole semester. And you can sign up for as many as you want once you pay your dues. Um, and you served a few different roles in that club, right? Uh, yeah, I became an officer in it, which is just like the people that kind of help the club flow and be what it is, the people that lead the trips. Um, I became an officer my second semester as a freshman. And then I was a new position created to kind of learn all the positions to teach people for the next year because almost all the officers were graduating. So in my sophomore year, I was treasurer. Junior year, I was also treasurer. And then my senior year, I was president. What made you want to go for a leadership role in that club specifically? Um, club had a really big impact on me. Like I knew it was going to help me like grow as a person and just like teach me so much about myself and my hobbies and give me all my friends. And I knew that like pretty early on my freshman year. So I just wanted to give back to it and make sure it would do that for the other people in the way that it did for me. And also there were some other things I wanted to, wanted to see improved, like have two night backpacking trips instead of just one night trips, like trips that would go Friday through Sunday. And yeah, I just wanted the club to be as good as it could possibly be for everyone because it had done so much for me and continued to throughout my semesters as officer. And yeah, it was a huge part of my college experience, like big part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, what what did it do for you? And in, in a way, you know, like we've talked about how it made you more passionate about the outdoors and kind of introduced you to a lot of things. How do you think it changed you or like inspired you to get into what you're doing now? I mean, I definitely wouldn't be sitting in this van right now if Mountaineering Club didn't exist. I probably would have no idea I liked rock climbing if I never joined the club. That's how I found out because I went on a day trip with them, uh, outdoor rock climbing, and loved it. So then I went to the Rock Walt Strom and just took off from there. And now climbing's like, it's like all I want to do every single day. It's like, it's like a virus. Like I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, I wouldn't know. I like backpacking. Like I definitely never would have tried it because you need to buy so much gear to even go backpacking, but the club provides it all for you for really cheap. So then I was able to go backpacking. And I think I went on like probably like 10 overnight trips my freshman year, and then probably like 15 overnight trips my sophomore year with the club. And became passionate about backpacking which I probably never would have tried if I didn't mountaineering club didn't exist so it really did a lot for me and like all my closest friends I know from college are in that club and yeah like that cut <laughs> <laughs> period enough said I don't know what I was gonna say <laughs> um so you also worked for uh Strom for a year at the rock wall uh, yeah, I worked there my junior year. Um, yeah, a week of my sophomore year and then junior year. But yeah. Do you think that influenced how you climb, what you know about climbing, or did you mostly get that from MWW? Um, I would say I probably learned more from MWW because I am not a big fan of indoor climbing. Don't get me wrong. I love Strom and it's incredible to have that access to a rock wall five minutes from your door on campus like that's pretty 
pretty incredible, like for free, well, included in tuition, obviously. But um, yeah, I like outdoor climbing a lot more. And so I can't, can't do that as prom, obviously. It's an indoor rock wall. Everything's much different outside. So I learned, um, actually, I learned a lot from the rock wall too, because I took a class called the climbing wall instructor class, which is where they have like mountain guides come in and then it's like a 20 hour course over three days of them teaching everyone at the rock wall like safety stuff so I forgot about that so I did learn a lot from both but I got all the outdoor experience with mountaineering club yeah definitely definitely both contributed to it yeah that's a really cool class I didn't know that they had it I just knew about like the belay class that you could take oh yeah I took that too my um second semester freshman year after I had climbed with MWW, I enrolled in the rock climbing class, which is like a one credit hour class. Um, and it's like, you go rock climbing at the rock wall, like once a week for like half the semester and you get a credit hour for it and really fun. So, um, we talked about how the mountaineering and whitewater club kind of like sparked your interest in the outdoors and kind of made you really passionate about it. But then junior year, you kind of took that to the next step and you went on a little trip. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So once COVID hit, I was, I guess it was like March of my junior year. I knew I wanted to do a big road trip, which I had been planning from the start of junior year, but it was only going to be like two and a half weeks out West. But then once COVID hit, I started, um, door dashing and saved up a ton and then realized I could do that anywhere across the country. So I went on a big road trip for, I think it was 60 days out West the summer between my junior and senior year and lived out of my car. I didn't have the van yet. Um, I slept on a boulder pad outside of my car, just like next to my car every day. I didn't set up a tent or a hammock any night. I would just pull over at a campsite, sleep on the boulder pad. And I kind of I was driving a lot. I traveled like to every state out West. So I was like seeing, I was staying at a place, every place for like a day. And then just like, boom, boom, moving on. Cause I wanted to see all the country to find out where I wanted to spend lots of time later. So I could like find where my favorite place was, um, which I would say is like the Pacific Northwest. But um, yeah. And so there's just like free campsites everywhere out west it's crazy like how many there are compared to the east coast uh, you can just like pull up a map for it and there will be like free campsites within half an hour of you wherever you are like unless you're in a big city at like any time um so i was hitting a ton of national parks i think i hit like 17 or 18 maybe and um kind of knew i wanted to live a nomadic lifestyle like right then like i was having the time of my life that summer and that sparked the interest to do it permanently after college I was like this is really great why not do it all the time so I actually hit a deer when I was in the car in Washington and it totaled my car so that's how I got the van was from the money from my car being totaled but this thing doesn't have much time left it's old <laughs> did you ever think about doing like a conversion on the minivan or no I didn't have enough money to put anything into this. So I just got it. And then all my money went to like climbing gear. 
so van life is like the whole concept of nomadic van life is totally doable on a budget yeah totally like you don't have to pay rent like people listening to this think of how much you're paying for rent i don't know six seven hundred in columbia and then every month you don't have to pay that like or any water bills electricity all that so also i like if you just like buy the right groceries and eat really cheap it's like totally possible to not spend much um and so basically all i'm paying is like my car insurance my phone bill and gas and food so yeah i think it's totally doable i just store dash on weekends and then climb and hike during the week yeah okay that sounds amazing <laughs> so let's talk about like the practicalities of your life today what it looks like what living in the van looks like so your van's like not your minivan is not tricked out like most of like the van life stuff we see on um youtube or in documentaries what does your van look like yeah it doesn't have like a fancy kitchen inside and water and all that i just have tons of stuff piled up in my passenger seat so i can't really give anyone a ride unless they get on my bed which is in the back i took out the middle seats and the back seats and I'm able to fit a full-size mattress. And um, it was the mattress I had in college. So it's like decent size. Like I've shared it with uh, my brother when we were on a climbing trip and like two other friends when we were on a climbing trip. Like it's a full-size bed, not a twin. So it's pretty roomy still. I just don't have any room to stand up. Um, and then behind the bed is a big pit where the back seats were removed because they went into the floor to be level with the floor. So that's where I have a lot of storage too. And then I have like a bunch of stuff just tucked in random places, like under my console and just all the little nooks and crannies I could find. And then I have two boulder pads on my bed, but those are the only things that have to sit on my bed, but I can move those up to the passenger seat on top of all the other stuff when I go to sleep. So then I have the full bed to sprawl out on. Amazing. <laughs> um, what would you say, like, your, if you have top five, what are your top five, like, essentials for van life? I really have it down to the essentials. Like, I have my clothes and my toiletries and food and a book. <laughs> but, and a camp stove. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, I mean, camp stove. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, is there anything that like really sucks about living in the van? Like, is there anything you miss? Um, I really miss having showers. It's been 25 days since I've had one. <laughs> Trying to find someone to let me use the shower soon. Um, I really miss having a sink. I hate having a beard, which I do right now. I hate it so much, but I haven't had a sink to shave at. Um, in the middle of the night, if I gotta like get up to pee, it's like freezing outside. So it really sucks not having like a toilet and a sink are the big ones for me. And then also, I really hate doing dishes without the sink and running water, like just having to pour water on them. And because I only have like five gallons of water so then I'm like trying not to use a ton of it and don't really have like if I use rags I can't just clean the rags because I'm not going to a laundromat every day so 
I really miss having a sink to clean dishes because I hate doing dishes after using a camp stove. So yeah, I would say a sink, both a bathroom sink and a kitchen sink, and then a toilet are just the big things for me. I've never been so grateful for my sinks. <laughs> An extra prayer yeah. for them. Um, so how do you find places to sleep, to stay out? Where do you find your campsites? Like, is there a specific website or an app or something? Uh, yeah, I use an app called iOverlander. It just has like a big map of little like pinpoints of exact locations and anyone can just enter spots on there. And sometimes like, I'll find free campsites that end up being just as beautiful as stuff in national parks. They're just like less known about areas and you just like get a camp at these crazy areas. Not so often. Most of them are just like random spots you can pull off in the middle of the desert of like endless desert plains. But like every once in a while, there'll just be some free campsite I find on there. That's just at some like crazy beautiful place. So yeah, sometimes I find, really cool stuff from that that I wouldn't have found otherwise which I like and then also I just can find a free campsite on it like every night it just has endless points of free campsites and um, Bureau of Land Management owns a ton of land out here I don't think they really own any at all on the east coast or barely any if they do but they are like the um, I don't know what to call it corporation I guess or like the government agency that makes all these free campsites and it's just like land you can just stay on and camp on. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Um, and then national parks you usually have to pay a fee to get in, but is there like a, a park pass that you can use for all of them or is it different for each park? Yeah, there's one pass that covers all the national parks for a year and it's 80 bucks. Um, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, for, sure. for sure. How many national parks have you hit so far? Um, so the summer I was living out of my car for two months before my senior year, I think I hit like somewhere around 15 to 18 ish, maybe 20, 15 to 20, probably. Um, and since I've been living out of my van, I've been to a lot fewer, probably like four or five. I've been focusing more on climbing. Um, but there are a few more I'm gonna hit in the next few weeks. Yeah, so let's let's get into climbing then. Um, my favorite part. So <laughs> Me too. yeah. So how do you find spots to climb at? Um, there's also just an app that just has it's just like an endless climbing resource basically, and it's called Mountain Project. Um, I really there's a cool feature on it I really like too, where so there's like a specific page for each route. So if you go to a, a rock wall outside, it's called a crag is what a rock wall is called outside. So if you go to a crag, there might be whatever 30 different routes at it. And each route will have a description about it, what kind of gear you need to climb it, um, a rating of how hard it is, and a rating of how dangerous it is. And so like at some climbing areas, there's big, there's like big enough where there'll be a thousand rock climbing routes within a 15 minute drive of each other. And all of them will have a description of it. It's really cool. Uh, and then I like the feature you can, it's called a tick. You can tick a route, which means that you climbed it. And it basically is like a little journal entry of it. So you can just like 
write, I would normally write a few sentences about the route or something, or just maybe nothing if it was not a very memorable route. Um, and then I can go back so I can see every climb I've ever done because I tick every climb. So I've done like five or 600 climbs now, and I can see all of them I've ever done from this little feature I use that saves all the climbs I've done, which I think is cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, what style of climbing do you do typically? Um, I mostly sport climb, but I want to get into trad climbing, which I will be soon in the next few weeks once I have the gear for it. Can you break down what sport climbing is, what trad climbing is? Yeah. So first I'll start with top roping. So top roping is what you would usually see people doing at Strom or just like a regular rock wall where the rope's holding them. And if they fall, they're not going anywhere. They just fall like two inches or whatever because the rope holds them. So sport climbing is when the rope is being, is tied into the person from the ground and they're bringing the rope up with them. So they are clipping the rope into a piece of gear about every six to eight feet, which will stop them from falling. So imagine if someone clips a piece of gear and then they climb five feet above this piece of gear. And if they fall, they're gonna swing down 10 feet because they're gonna fall the five feet past the bolt plus the extra five feet that was in the rope down to it. So you take kind of big falls when sport climbing. And with sport climbing, there's gear already put on the wall. You just have to clip your rope into it. With trad climbing, you're bringing all the gear up with you. So essentially you can climb rock that has no gear in it at all. Like a rock that no one's ever climbed because you're placing all these little pieces of gear into the cracks and it'll catch you if you fall. It's kind of hard to describe without a visual, but. Right, yeah, and when yeah. you're saying, uh, a, when you're saying gear, what do you mean? A piece of metal, basically, like hardware. So you're clipping this little piece of metal in and then you put the rope through the metal. So top roping, rope starts at the top. Mm -hmm. Somebody's belaying you at the bottom. Sport climbing, you're bringing the rope with you. Do you still need somebody to belay you when you're doing that? Or can you do that by yourself? Um, it is possible to do it by yourself, but it's extremely uncommon. I saw someone doing it yesterday for the second time. And I've that's like the second time I've seen someone doing it of like the 100 places I've climbed at. So it's super uncommon. Um, it's just a little more sketchy when you don't have someone else there with you. But so I've always done it with, with someone else. Yeah. As 98% of climbers probably do. Yeah. And how do you find those people? Cause you're, cause you're out alone in the desert right now. You're in Sedona, right? Yeah. yeah. So how do I you mean, find I'm in a grocery store parking lot right now, but for oh, the most okay. part, yeah, I'm in the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you find people to climb with? Um, so I post on mountain project, which is that app you can so for example, I just posted looking for weekday partners in Sedona the next two weeks. And then a few people have texted me and I've climbed with them. Like I climbed yesterday with someone I met. Oh, I met this person from a Facebook group, actually. Um, there's like a Northern Arizona climbers Facebook group. And so I joined that and posted in there. And I've climbed with two people from that and someone from Mountain Project uh, and someone from Tender. Um, <laughs> yeah.
Do you ever worry about safety? Um, yeah, it's a little concerning climbing with someone you haven't climbed with before because there is that level of trust you have to have because your life quite literally is in your belayer's hands at sometimes like if they mess up they could kill you if they're like it's it's some serious stuff um so it is a little concerning climbing with people you haven't climbed with but I kind of you can kind of get a gauge from people's posts most of the time how much experience they have and so for the most part I'm just like trying to only climb with people that aren't newbies to climbing like people that have as much experience as myself or more or people that have like maybe close to as much experience as me but you can kind of get a gauge from people's posts a lot of the times and what kind of gear they have and also um sometimes on mountain project I can you can like stalk people's ticks like their little journal of all their climbs it's like public so you can see people's so I can like see what difficulty they're climbing and stuff and kind of get a gauge for it um and then I'll just like ask people a question over text like have you lead belayed like the specific type of belaying it like at least a few t decent amount of times and just like see what they say if it wasn't clear but yeah it's it's definitely a little scary doing that sometimes and just like most of the time I climb routes that I'm really confident I'm not gonna fall on if I am climbing with someone that's not crazy super experienced like I climbed yes yesterday for example I climbed four routes at a difficulty level that I've climbed a hundred in a row without falling so it was like yeah the chance of me falling on are super low but also the chances of them not doing the thing not delaying right are also super low so the combination of that makes me feel a little safer like there was no point on any of the stuff I climbed yesterday that I thought I was going to fall and that was because I actually was climbing with one of the least experienced people I ever I have climbed with online um but she clearly knew what she was doing and knew what she was talking about like I wasn't worried it's just it's it's a little nerve-wracking beforehand before you meet up someone like oh do they even know how to belay or like do it correctly but i think 99.5 percent of climbers are safe perfectly yeah. yeah so uh you were talking about grades um for a second there so and difficulty levels so could you explain how the difficulty of a route is like determined and how the grading system kind of works and then talk about like what you climb typically yeah so climbing is graded between five zero and five fifteen so it's written as five dot like period five period zero or like five period one five period two five period three and so what the five stands for is fifth class and fifth class is distinguishing that it's something most people would want to put on a rope for and rock climb. Fourth class is a like super steep hike where you're needing to use your hands and like you need like a little bit of athleticism to do it. But like most hikers could do a fourth class fine as long as it's not like on the side of a cliff or something. Um, and then the third class is like 
also you need to use your hands but it's like pretty easy so it's like a ramp and then a second class is just like a steep hike and then a first class would be like your everyday hike so um like i would say most hikers could probably do up to a third most hikers could do up to a fourth class most people that don't hike could do up to a third class probably without a rope and then so fifth class where climbing starts is five zero five point one five point two and so basically all routes start at five six it's rare to find a route below a five six so five zero through five five doesn't really exist very much and then so five six through like five twelve is what like 98 percent of climbers are climbing if you climb over a five twelve you're like insane so um i climb usually the other day i climbed four five sevens which are very very easy for me like i was saying because i was climbing with a new person um and then uh the hardest i've climbed is 11 511 and i probably tried like 15 20 511s before but i've climbed like 858s like probably like 75 9s i like to climb i'm totally okay with climbing stuff that's not difficult for me to climb outside which is totally opposite for some people some people it's like they want to climb as hard as they possibly can to almost like how i would compare it to a weightlifter how they're trying to push their limit and get as much as you can in one rep it's like some people are trying to climb the hardest graded route they possibly can but that's not really my style i like to just go out and climb stuff that's i like to just touch rocks <laughs> yeah uh, for sure. And then indoor climbing is a, like graded the same, but differently from outdoor climbing, right? Yeah. So indoor climbing has the same grading system, how you're going to find stuff between five, six and five, 12 at a gym, maybe a five, few five thirteens. Um, but it doesn't really match up. So like a five, nine at the gym might feel like a five, seven outside. Have you ever met a climb that you just didn't like? Like you were into it and you were like, this is too dangerous. Or I just, have you ever walked away from a climb, I guess? Yes, I have once. It was a five, four. So that's like, that's the easiest route I've ever climbed outside. Cause it's the easiest I've ever seen is a five, four. And I I've done like, I don't know, maybe like five of them before. It's rare to find one that low. But anyways, this one what so much loose rock on it. I got 10 feet up. And I actually had my friend ready to film it with the drone and everything too. And it was going to be like, oh, it's an incredible view. But anyways, um, I was like super excited for it. I got like 10, 15 feet up and I was like, we can't do this. I'm sorry. Like we're, we're going to die. <laughs> it was just like, there was too much loose rock. And it was like in a funnel where all the rocks would just come straight down towards the belayer. And there was just loose rocks everywhere I needed to go on the route. So I retreated on this, the easiest grade route I've ever found because it was, it was too dangerous. So, yeah. That's so funny about the five, four, not funny, but like you wouldn't yeah. expect it. Yeah. But then, oh, but then actually I, we went and found a different route that was on the same like cliff face. And it was the only time I've ever climbed a route, not knowing it's grade. And it was because I still wanted my friend to get the drone footage at this place, but I couldn't do the five, four. So I went up this route, not knowing the grade. And so that was a little concerning, but it looked safe. 
and it turned out really well. I'm guessing it was like a five nine or a five ten, um, but it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. It's it's all subjective. Like it's just whoever climbs it first gets to put the grade on it. So, have you ever set a route outside? Uh, no, that takes like a lot of gear. You need like a drill and stuff to drill into the rocks. But I'm hoping to do that in the next. Uh, hopefully the next year, honestly, I'm hoping to have someone teach me how to do that and get the gear for it. But yeah, that, and then you also need to like find a good place of rock, but most, the majority of all good climbing places in out here have already been bolted for climbing. Like people already know about them. So there's not like, well, there is definitely a lot of places left that could have new routes, but it's not like they're just everywhere because a lot of the good stuff that's easy to get to has already been put up for climbing, which is great because then people have access to it everywhere. Like, yeah. Yeah. What's been your favorite route so far out of your 500, if you can even pick a favorite? <laughs> Probably this one I did in Washington. It was about 600 feet tall. I think maybe 700 feet tall um it, it was six pitches and a pitch just means a rope length like you and your bla blayer both climb up the wall not just one of you at a time and so this was the i think it was yeah it was the first time i'd climbed someone for mountain projects and it was like a huge win because he was taking me up this route that i did not have the gear for that i definitely would not have been able to lead which means being the first person to go and that's because the first person to go is the one that's going to take the huge falls because they're leading and the second person would take the no falls because they're on top rope so he was taking me up this like awesome route and it's in one of like the 100 classic climbs of america there's like someone that like a really famous dude that publishes 100 favorite climbs and it's in that and so it was the first one i was doing in that and it was my first time climbing with a random person from mountain project too and so i was like really psyched to go up this crazy route and it was just super I liked it because it was super tall and it had like an incredible view and it was perfectly vertical like almost straight vertical and then at one point there's a really long crack on it that's about like two three inches wide that continues for like I don't know maybe 70 80 feet and so the way you climb the crack is by jamming your hand into the crack and then squeezing your hand so it wedges in there. And so you're not actually like pulling with your fingers at all. You're literally just putting your hands in the crack and squeezing them to like make wedges basically. And so that pitch was actually not one of the harder parts of the climb, but it's like the, the best part of the climb because it's just this perfect crack and you're, it's like 500 feet off the ground and you can look down below you. It's like perfectly vertical. And so that was like my first experience climbing something like really tall like really big and since then I've been sold on multi-pitch which is just like doing the really long climbs that are more than one rope length which is what I'm trying to do all the time now <laughs> I have a few things to say about that so the first time you climbed with somebody from Mountain Project like this app where you just meet random people to go climb was like a 700 foot wall yes <laughs> 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 nothing in your brain was like hmm, maybe I should take it slow feel this guy out like no I'm just gonna go up 700 feet in the air it'll be fine I mean I creeped on his 
tick list and he had tons of hard finds under his under his belt so and this also wasn't one like pushing his limit either so I was like eh, he probably won't even fall anyway and he didn't and I didn't either so there you go yeah <laughs> um also I saw a mountain goat on the way down from this you walk it down you don't rappel down the route so it's like about a it's a surprisingly quick walk down because the trail's like it's like a really steep trail going down it to hike down to so it took like maybe 30 40 minutes and there was a mountain goat like 20 feet away from me on there so that was cool to see too because I'd never seen a mountain goat either I also like multi-pitch because like I've seen birds they'll like tuck their wings and zoom down the wall like staying close to it and you can just see them like nosedive and they'll go right past your ears and that is the coolest thing to me just hearing like seeing the birds fly below you and oh I love it (laughs) yeah so do you have a roadmap of kind of what you want to do next a plan for where you're going or do you just wake up and choose um right now I have a rough plan it's basically I want to spend two more weeks in northern Arizona two weeks in Joshua Tree and then four weeks in Red Rocks which is a big climbing place right by Las Vegas but I'm going to avoid the city as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm just there for the rocks. <laughs> Strictly a rock kind of guy. Yeah. No casinos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what comes after van life? How long do you plan on doing it? Um, until midway through this May. And then I will be living on an organic farm commune thing in North Carolina. That's cool. That's really cool. Do you think you'll ever go back to like the minivan lifestyle after that experience traveling like nomadically absolutely <laughs> yeah I don't think I'll do it permanently as I as long as I am now but I'll do like big extended trips with a van and sleeping in my car and stuff what would you say to people who have the same idea as you like people who know that they don't necessarily want to live like a traditional college graduate school maybe professional corporate world lifestyle they want to do this but they're scared what would you say like just go freaking do it the amount of times I've heard people say to me oh my god it's my dream to live in a van I'm not kidding like hundreds of times like everyone I run into and I I say that too like oh yeah I live in my van they're like oh my god I want to do that it's like well why aren't you then it's like I don't know, like, make it happen. It's not expensive. Like, if, like, I don't know, maybe some people need to save up more for it. But, like, it's very attainable. You just need to, like, get out and do it. And, yeah, it's like, I I feel like everyone says it's their dream to live in a van. Like, so, well, not everyone, but so many people I hear say that these days. And it's like, I don't know, why aren't you doing it then? Go do it. Yeah. yeah. Make your dreams happen. Absolutely. What would you say to freshman year you if you could talk to him right now? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I don't know how to word this, but like I'm so I'm so happy with what I'm doing right now and enjoying it so much that there's not necessarily like any advice I could have told my like I would have told myself because I wouldn't have want anything to played out different I'm so happy with how everything did and all the people I met and all the memories I made that it's like 
I don't think I would have told freshman me that I should have done anything different. It would have, I'm so happy with how it played out that, yeah, I would have just told myself like, do what you want to do and everything will play out how you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do what you want to do and everything will play out. What a lesson and what a journey we just went on together. A big thank you to James for coming on the pod and sharing his story with us. I don't know about you guys, but I am feeling so inspired right now and I will for sure be spending all night making my next road trip playlist. If you want to keep up with his journey, James's Instagram will be linked in the show notes so you can go ahead and check him out there. And I just want to give a quick shout out to you, the listeners. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of our first episode. It means the world to me. If you liked this one, you can tune in every Friday for new episodes. Speaking of next week, remember that organic farm James said he was living on in the spring with a bunch of people? Next episode, we're going to hear from the founder of that farm, who might be a little closer to you than you think. Anyways, you know the drill. Chase your dreams, hug a tree, and be good. See you guys. Before we go, our music is Bad Nostalgia by Anthem of Rain, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Public License.